Hi Lifehouse, so happy to have you here joining us this morning. My name is Jacob and we are currently in the middle of our Love Handles series, which is a full week series on love. Get comfortable, get your pen and paper as we're about to dive in to this morning's message. This is always so good. Oh, I cannot wait for that. But hey, are we excited to be here in the house of God this morning? Half of you, that's right. Coffee's still kicking in. That's sick. Well, hey, um, yeah, we are in the last week of our relationship series, Love Handles. And uh, hey, it's been a really, it's been a great series. It's been super practical. And I love, yeah, how that each, each of the weeks has been a different kind of like aspect, like, or a specific topic in, in, in relationships that has, has been looked at. And so when Pastor Josh asked me to share this morning, he asked me to share on um, our relationship with God, our relationship with Jesus. And so that is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And we're going to be looking at a story from Luke 7, which I'll, we'll be reading it a bit later on. Um, but we're just going to be looking at like how our relationship with Jesus is the most important relationship of all, how it affects every other relationship, and that we actually need to be constantly filled by the, with the love of Jesus so that there's an overflow that goes out into the rest of our relationships. So can we pray? Why don't you just pray with me this morning? Dear Jesus, we just thank you that your spirit is here, God. We thank you that your presence is here with us in the room. And God, I just pray this morning, would you just, we just allow ourselves and our hearts to be open to what you want to say, what you want to teach us, what you want to show us, maybe that where you want to challenge us, God. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what you're going to be speaking to us this morning, God. Let us not walk out of here without a word from you, without a reminder of your love and your forgiveness and your grace for us. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Can we just give a hand to Tim and the worship team for everything you do, those spiritual twinkly fingers? Well, not meant to be here. Have you ever been in a situation or been in a position where you're thinking, I'm not meant to be here? I don't know how I got here, but I'm not meant to be here. And one time when, um, when, when I think of something like that, it reminds me of 2018 at Youth Alive Conference. Now, for a lot of people here, I don't know if you've heard of Youth Alive or you know really what that is, but the Youth Alive Conference, it's a state, it's the biggest state youth event in the entire year. Right, so back then there was like probably like five, six, maybe seven hundred like teenagers who were like gathering together to just like worship God and just go like crazy and all out. And there was one point where right at the end, right, there was one night, uh, it was like one of the last sessions and like, you know, everyone is just like worshiping their hearts out, right, like hands raised, armpits exposed, voice lifted, letting out a not so sweet fragrance unto the Lord. And it's a, it was a very sweaty, sweaty area down there, but it was this one night, and it was basically the last session, and, and the preacher who was, like, speaking that night uh, gave a bit of, like, a response call and just, like, asking, hey, if, if there's anyone here who is a, a youth pastor or a youth leader, would you, like, come up onto the platform, and uh, I, I just want to pray for you. We're going to get, like, the rest of the, the state leaders to just, like, be praying for you. And, and I heard this, right, and it was my first. I had been on the team. I'd been on youth team for now for about a year, for, like, roughly a year. And like it was my first conference being being a, a leader, but there's one like one thing. Oh yeah, Tasha's smiling. I think she remembers. Damn it. Um, and there's like one one thing about me is that if you knew me back then, I may seem very like outgoing, very energetic and stuff like that when you see me here. But particularly back then, I was very reserved. I, I was very much in my shell. I hated kind of like doing. If there was anything 
that like I, I required me to kind of put myself out there, like you couldn't pay me to do it. Like I, I hated putting myself in those kind of situations. But then I, I heard this like one call and I was like, all right, come on, Jacob. Like you haven't responded at all this conference. Like just actually step out, like be a man. Come on, like just pump up your chest. Like actually walk out with a bit of confidence, like and actually make, make a response to this for like once in your life. And so I turned to my friend, one of my mates who was there and he was on the team as well. And I was like, all right, well, that's us. Like, let's go. And I gauge his, I read his facial expression as like, yeah, let's do it. And so I walk up and I go up onto the, the I come to the side and uh, I walk up on the steps and I'm kind of like standing about here on the stage and I turn around and I see that he's still like five, five rows back just looking at me and I'm like, oh, why isn't he up here? And then I realize and I'm looking and like not, no one else from the youth team is up here. The only faces I recognize are Pastor Tash and Pastor Jake too good. And then it hit me that they didn't mean if you are just a leader on, on a youth team, but if you are leading a youth team. And so I'm standing up here and there's just a bunch of like these big names, all these youth pastors and, and people who are leading these youth ministries all across the state. And I'm standing here and I'm like, oh man, I'm not meant to be here. And so I, I'm thinking, I, that's okay. I'm still on the edge. Like there's, everyone's focused on the middle. Like I could probably just like sneak off. But then the guy who, who made the call, the speaker, he, he kind of like then started, I was about to walk off and then he started pushing me to the middle to like bunch us all up and, and to make space. And so before I know it, I'm standing smack bang in the middle of the stage with like half a thousand young people like looking up on me and uh, the rest of us on the stage. And I'm like, oh no, I'm not meant to be here. Like I, I, I'm like freaking out because I'm like, people are going to be thinking like, what is he doing up there? Like I'm sure, I don't know if Tash was thinking this, but she probably looked at me if she saw me and was like, what is he doing up here? Well, why, why is he come up on the on the stage like I was like not trying to steal like any blessing like I'm not like true the true Jacob I'm not trying to steal a blessing from from my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ but I, I, I was up here and I was like I am not meant to be here and so I was like well there's no really getting out of this now so I may as well just stay here I may as well just be here and receive it. and so they, they were coming along in a line. They were just like praying hard. And I'm just like standing here, just like getting prayed over for the youth ministry that I'm leading, that it will grow, that there will be a move of God. And I'm like, that's not me. Like, you got the wrong guy. Like, this is not where I'm, I'm not meant to be getting any of this at all. And the whole time I was just thinking like, oh, this, like, this, this, this is not for me. Like, I, I'm not meant to be receiving this. I'm, I'm not even meant to be here up on stage. This is a huge misunderstanding. And afterwards I get down. And, um, and I'm just thinking, what the, what the heck happened? And like so many people, so many of our leaders on, on the team that I was with came up to me and were like, what were you doing up there? Like, well, why did you go up? Surely you knew that they were talking about youth pastors. I'm like, no, they said youth leaders. I'm a youth leader. Sure, like, why weren't you up there? So I'm just trying to defend myself and trying to explain that this is a huge misunderstanding. And, um, and, but one good thing I guess that came from it is that I've noticed nowadays, like the one this year, they did a similar call, except this, this time they actually said, if you are a youth pastor or if you are leading a youth ministry, why don't you come up to the front? So I'd like to think that I was kind of the reason that they changed the words and actually, so no one else would end up in the same position I ended up in, just to save the, the embarrassment of, of, of being in that position. But I, I, 
it's funny to think back upon and like no one else really remembered it. I don't know. Do you even remember that happening? Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyway, well, I brought it back up anyway. So I got away with it for a long time. I was like, okay, I think everyone forgot that. But uh, it's funny because I, I, I ended up in that situation. The only way I ended up there was because I heard something, right? I, I heard a call. It resonated with me. Something within me resonated with it. And then I, I responded out of that. I heard something it resonated with me, and then it moved me to respond. Right? I was in the situation that I wasn't supposed to be in. Everyone around me who was standing next to me knew I wasn't supposed to be there. They were probably very shocked that I was up there, but I was so moved by what I heard that I responded anyway. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at a time where there was a woman in the Bible in Luke chapter 7, where she had a very similar experience, except it was, this time it wasn't a misunderstanding from something that she heard, but it was a, more of a, I don't care what anyone else thinks, I want to make a response. That I've heard something, it has resonated within her heart, and that she was so moved and so touched by it that she didn't care what the other people th- thought of her, she didn't care what she had to do, but she just had to respond, despite how it looked and despite how people looked at her. So if we can just get that up. So that if you have your own Bibles, why don't you turn with me to Luke chapter 7 and it's verses 36 to 50. Luke 7 verse 36 to 50. If you don't have a Bible on your phone or a paper, it will be on the back screen. And uh, just, just to let you know, this is a bit of a chunky scripture. All right, It's a bit of a chunky boy. So I'm just going to read through it and then we're going to unpack it all this moment, um, all, all the sort of the key words and key phrases because it is such a beautiful passage of Scripture. So here we go. So it says this, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she bought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaded money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, cancelling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one whom he cancelled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little, only shows a little love. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said, Your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. 
And I, I love this passage because this woman was in a position and in a place where she was not meant to be. That everyone else, when she came into that room, everyone else looked at her and thought, what, what is she doing here? Why is she in this room? That she doesn't deserve to be here with us. Because just to just unpack the, a bit of the culture and, and a bit of a more of an understanding of what this scenario would have really looked like. is because dur- during these kind of meals, whenever a, a rabbi or a, a teacher of the law, like a considered expert of the law, would come into a town or be, be at, at a certain place, generally like they were invited over by like someone to their place for a meal. But the thing was, these meals weren't actually priced rock up at your place. But back in this time, like, yes, it was at their house. It was at that person's house. But basically, anyone from the community could have, like, walked in there and, like, listened in on the conversation that they were having, li- like, listening into to what they were talking about as, as, as those men were eating and, and just talking. And so even though, like, it was open to anyone, like, generally only, like, those who were, like, well respected and like or like looked at in, in a in a good light within the community would would rock up at these meals. And so right and so so even even though like anyone could come, only certain people certain people would actually kind of be there. And there was only a very like there was a few people that were looked down upon if they rocked up. And this woman was one of them. This woman was actually one of them because I want to focus on the woman a little bit this morning because we don't know anything about her. We, like, we don't know her name. We don't know where she grew up. We don't know where she's come from. The, the only thing we are told about this woman is that she was immoral, that she was immoral. And when we actually read like, and look into more of this passage, we, we can actually, it's safe to assume, and it very likely means that she was actually a prostitute. She was a prostitute, but how do we know that? So the, the passage that we just read, it mentions this alabaster jar, this alabaster jar with expensive perfume. And this jar is actually probably very different than what you'd expect it to be. When you think of a jar, you think like jam jar, you think cookie jar, you think of like a, a larger kind of container or a vessel that can hold a, a greater volume of something. But if we could have that picture up, thanks, uh, Peter. This jar was actually very different than what you would expect. So this is what we can kind of like, this is what it would be generally look like, except it was actually about this big. It, it was, they were generally around like 10 centimeters. Like they were actually like a very, very small jar and it had this very long neck with such a narrow opening that you couldn't actually just like, if it knocked over, like nothing would come out. Like you couldn't actually like easily like pour out all the contents or all, all, all the perfume from w- within it. And so, like, what it would do is, rather than, like, pouring out what was in it, it acted more kind of like a, a diffuser or like a, a wicking kind of thing. So the fragrance from within it would slowly be released into the, the air around it. So why, why is this in, important? Because for a prostitute, having a, a perfume like this would basically be the only way they could keep attracting clients, if you will, right? Like, just kind of like think about their job, not please don't think about it too much, but like kind of think about, think, think about a bit about the job and like the setting and the culture and, and where they were, the, t- the day and the age of 
what they were doing, right? Because it was, let alone, it was very hard to stay clean back then. Very hard. Like, but especially for what she was doing, that, that would have been near impossible. Like, so whenever she would actually, like, be with a man to try and actually just earn an income so she could get enough just to eat and live for another day, like, she couldn't just like go to the shower. She couldn't just quickly run a bath. There was no running water. There's no electricity. It was very hard to stay clean back then and to stay appealing so she could try and attract more clients, right? And so if she, if she did sleep with a man, he, his scent would kind of like stay on her, right? There, there would be kind of like this like smell that would like stay on her that would be very off-putting for anyone else around, anyone else around, and so in order to try and remain appealing, it was very common for prostitutes to actually have these little alabaster jars as like a necklace. You, you may have seen on the photo, like there was a tiny little hole. There was a, like a little hole on the back. And so they would actually put some string through that and kind of wear it as a bit of a, a necklace. And that would be like the, the perfume. So yeah, you can see there, like on the left-hand side, there's a little hole. And so they would necklace. And so what would happen is that like, any smells that they may have like would be you know displaced you couldn't smell that because all you could smell was the this sweet amazing perfume and so it would help to keep them remain more more attractive to any other potential men who who wanted to use her and so these little jars were considered essential if you if you were a prostitute back in the day right? You could not make an income without one. You could not make a, a living. You could not make ends meet if you didn't have one. And so, so we see, we read that this woman is likely a prostitute, right? And, and they were considered in that culture like some of the lowest people, right? Prostitutes, the tax collectors, they were seen by those who were well-respected or those who had a good reputation and who were most honored by them. So we, we don't know we, we don't know how she started getting into that. Like maybe she, like her, she was married, but her husband died really young and no one else wanted to marry her. And so she felt like that was the only thing she could do. Maybe she was abused when she was like growing up and there was a lot of like stuff that in, in her mind that she just couldn't get away from. So she just went back to that. Or maybe she just grew up an orphan without having any family, any parents to actually care for her and actually go into and raise her. And so the only way she knew how to live another day was to go into that, go into that scene. Like we're not, we're not told. We have no idea how. We have no idea why. All we know is that she is, that she's in that. And, and I'm sure that she knew that what she was doing probably wasn't the, the ideal lifestyle. Like, I'm sure that when she was little, like, she had dreams of, like, growing up and getting married and having children and raising a family, like, basically, like, most young girls do. But for her, that was not her reality. For her, that was not her reality. And I'm sure she didn't want to. No one ever really just, like, when they're six year, a six-year-old little girl, I want to, when I grow up, I want to be a prostitute. No one, no one does that. No one does that. And so I'm sure that she knew that like she, she didn't want to be doing this, but she was in this stuck place where she, she knew she didn't want to be doing this. She, she didn't want to have that kind of shame. She didn't want to have that reputation, but she also felt like there was no other way that she could keep on living. That if she didn't, that, that like she, she, would, she would die, that she wouldn't be able to make ends meet. And so instead of 
living out the dream of being married and raising a family. She's now, like, we find that she's, like, in the streets, going around, trying to find any man who could, like, use her so that she could just earn enough money to get some food and to have a meal and to just live another day, living day by day. And I'm sure she felt shame for what she was doing. Mothers would, with their children would probably point her out and say to their daughters, don't become like her. People would be casting these judgmental eyes on her, saying all kinds of things to her. And it's likely that for most of her life, she didn't actually know what real love is. It's likely that she had no idea what it felt like to actually be accepted for who she actually was, to be accepted by someone. But then one day, there must have been one time, and again, we're not told, but there's an indicator from that passage that there must have been one day where she was out walking the streets, trying to find if there was someone who, 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 who wanted to sleep with her, but she, she must have been around Jesus one time. She must have like heard maybe for one time she heard Jesus teaching about the love of God and the forgiveness of God and how the kingdom of of heaven is coming to earth. Maybe she just counted Jesus and she like was just like in face to face to him one time and would just like felt like this this warm radiant love this is like this love in his eyes as like they made eye contact with one another and we don't know exactly what it is. But we know because the passage said that when she heard Jesus was eating there at the Pharisee's house, she went there immediately. So there must have been one time, one moment where she had an encounter with Jesus, where he, she heard the words of Jesus. But the Pharisees looked down upon her so much, right? They hated people like her because she was a sinner. She was unholy. She, she wasn't deserving of being in the presence of Jesus. So for her to actually come into the house of a Pharisee, for her to actually position herself around those kind of men was unheard of. It was unheard of. No one had done that before. To actually choose to, to go to the house of the people who hate you the most, just so you can just try and just receive that love again that you once felt from this one guy called Jesus. That, that was unheard of. That was unheard of. And so, right, picture this. Jesus is with the Pharisees. He's with these other religious and well-respected men of that town, and they're reclining around the table, just eating and and talking. And then the people from the community are are all around. They're going in and out, listening into the conversation, listening to what they're talking about, listening to how Jesus is, is teaching them about the Scriptures. And then there's this woman. There's this one woman who has such a bad reputation in town, but she, she comes into the room and she, she just looks at Jesus and, and the tears start to flow. She, 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 so she goes in, into his feet and she just falls at the feet of Jesus, just weeping and weeping and crying and the tears are flowing and they're falling on his feet. And then she looks down and notices that his feet haven't been washed yet that there's still all this dirt and all this dust just like covering his feet. And so she sees this. And so she uses the tears that are falling from her face and landing on the feet of Jesus to start to begin to wash his feet, to clean his feet. And then she didn't have any towel, whatever, but she was like, I, I have my hair. So she let her hair down and began to wash and to dry the feet of Jesus. But you got to understand, this is like one other thing. One other thing that 
to, to actually let down your hair in public if you're a woman, that, that, was, that only happened when you were with your husband. See, back in that day and culture, women always wore their hair up in public. They never had their hair down in public because it was considered such an act of intimacy, closeness with, with one person, and that was for them was their husband. So the only time they would ever let their hair down was in a, in a private setting with their husband. That was the only time. So for, for her to actually let her hair down was, again, it was unheard of. Like no one ever, ever saw that. And in fact, it was considered so like much of an intimate act that if a woman actually let her hair down in a public setting with another man nearby, her husband had the right to divorce her. That was actually grounds for divorce. It was just unheard of in this culture. And so she's using her hair to, to dry the feet of Jesus. She's using her tears to, to wash the feet of Jesus. And then she just starts kissing her feet and just crying and just kissing the feet of Jesus. And then she takes her, her, her jar and starts pouring perfume on his feet to anoint his feet, to actually acknowledge that she knows who she is in the presence of. And it's just this beautiful picture of this moment of a woman finding real love, knowing real love that comes from Jesus. And she didn't care what, other, what it looked like. She didn't care what other people thought of her. But then in verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee, Simon, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. See, in his mind, and by his logic, he was thinking like, she does not deserve to be here. She, she has no right to be here. She doesn't know enough. She hasn't done good enough. Like, she should not be here. He believed that the actions she was making towards Jesus were not valid that they, 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 they shouldn't have been accepted by Jesus because of the type of woman she is, because of what she was known for. But it's kind of funny because he's, he's actually being a huge hypocrite at this point. Because for Simon, inviting Jesus over was more of a religious duty. It was more of like a, a, a religious merit that he could get from the people around him. Right, Jesus should have been the guest of honor. When he invited him over to his house, he should have been the guest of honor. But it quickly became clear that Simon invited him only out of what he could get from Jesus in terms of how other people thought of him. Right, that he only wanted to be around Jesus because of the, the status that he would receive from being an associate of Jesus. Right? You gotta remember, this is Jesus. This is the guy who, who his name is starting to, to get out. His fame is starting to spread like a rapid wildfire. I mean, people are hearing of the miracles that he's doing. I mean, he just came from, before this moment, we read that he had just raised a boy from the dead. So people are, are starting to see like who this actually guy is, who Jesus is, what he can do, the, the presence of God that is upon him. Like whenever he spoke, people stopped. Whenever he was teaching, people would listen. The people respected him. The people loved being around him. And so Simon knew that if he got around Jesus, that the an associate start to begin to honor and respect him because he would be an associate of Jesus. And that Jesus, oh, Jesus came around to my place. 
Jesus came around to my house. And like, this is actually pretty clear. We read this because of the hospitality that Simon showed towards Jesus or the, the lack of. Right, so there were three, three etiquettes in ancient Middle East culture that every host would show towards their guest. Three things that they would always do, especially towards distinguished guests like Jesus was. So the first one they would do is that they would greet them with a kiss. Right, they would show them affection. So when, when the host would greet their guests with a kiss, it, it was to, to, to honor them, to make them feel welcomed. But when they didn't do that, it was basically saying, like, I, I don't even acknowledge that you, your presence is here in my home. Like, I, I'm not even, like, like, I'm just ignoring the fact that you are actually at my house. So the first one that they, they would do was a kiss. The second one is that they would wash their feet or they would serve, right? This was actually a mandatory thing before meals, right? Nowadays, all the mothers and the fathers in the room say, hey, kids, make sure you wash your hands before we eat. Back then it was, hey, kids, make sure you wash your feet before you eat. Doesn't make sense, but in the culture, that's what happened, right? So they would wash their feet. It was a mandatory thing, but it was seen as, as a servant's job. It was a very low, lowly job, very lowly job. And, and it makes sense that it was a servant's job because, again, you got to remember, like, everyone wore, wore basically Birkenstocks. Like, there were no shoes. There were no enclosed shoes, no socks. There was no cars. Like, everything was dry. Everything was dusty. They would walk everywhere. And so their feet, once you get a bit of sweat going under there, because it was so dry, their feet would just get caked in all this dust and all this dirt. So washing feet was a servant's job. Or even at the very least, you would provide water for your guests so if you didn't have a servant or if you didn't want to do it yourself, at the very least, you would provide them water and a towel so they could do it themselves. You could do it themselves. And then the third thing, so first is like greet them with a kiss to show affection. Then you would provide water for them to wash their feet or to help serve them. And then the third one was or to honor them. Right, And this, is, this was a hospitable gesture, especially towards special guests especially to, to those who were like of the most like distinguished guests when you had them around at your house. And so this was generally like, generally like olive oil was like supplied or like given to their guests. And just because it was like cheap, it was very common and they would apply it to their face, to their hair, to like refresh and to rejuvenate themselves after traveling all the way to their place. But Simon, this Pharisee, he did none of these for Jesus. He, he, he did none of them, not just, not, he didn't do all three, he didn't do two, he didn't do one, he did none of them at all. And it's not like a, oops, I forgot, sorry, Jesus, my bad. Like, this was ingrained within their culture. Like, this was ingrained within their culture. We think, like, sometimes we can be pretty hospitable when someone comes around to our house. We can be like, hey, would you, would you, like, a, would you like a drink? Would you want like tea, coffee? Like, that's generally how we show hospitality. But in that culture, hospitality went to a whole nother level. So for Simon to forget, well, not forget, but for Simon to just not provide or show any of these things was very clear that he was basically intentionally refusing to, to do that towards Jesus. And it actually like showed that he, had, he, he didn't want to have him over to learn from him, to honor him, to, to desire to be in his presence. He just wanted him over from what he could get from being an associate of Jesus. So this, this so-called man of God didn't do this thing towards the Son of Man, the, like, God, God's Son. But this woman, 
does all of these things herself. Right? She kisses the feet of Jesus, shows him affection. She, she washes his feet with her tears and her hair, even though she didn't have any water, even though she didn't have a towel. That didn't stop her because she just wanted to serve Jesus. And lastly, she anointed his feet with her expensive perfume. She anointed his feet. See, there's, so there's a major difference between this woman and the Pharisee. Huge difference. Both were in the same room as Jesus. Both were in the very same room as Jesus. But they had a totally different response. Because Simon, the Pharisee, he had studied Jesus. He had studied about who Jesus would be. But this woman surrendered to Jesus. Surrendered before Jesus. Simon studied, but she surrendered so you've got to understand that Simon had, had been learning and reading and like gaining knowledge about Jesus his entire life, right? From, from right when they were very young, in, in, in Hebrew culture, boys started to learn the Torah, which is the first five books of the, of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so they would start to learn these, these, um, this, the Torah at the age of six, right? Four years later, when they were 10, they had it memorized off by heart. They knew every single verse. They knew every single passage, right? They memorized the, the, the Torah by the time they were 10. And then the best of those went on to study the rest of the Old Testament scriptures. And that included all the prophecies about Jesus. And so for Simon, he, his entire life, he, he was reading, he was learning, he, he was gaining knowledge about who Jesus would be, who this promised Messiah would be. But then as he was sitting across from the one who he was reading and learning about, he, he didn't recognize the fact that that was him. He didn't recognize the fact that the one for his entire life, the one that they were waiting for and who was, he was learning about, he didn't recognize the fact that that was actually him sitting across from the table. The, the, he was the one who was actually in his house, in his room. Yet this woman, who again in that culture had no education, who knew basically nothing about Jesus, recognized the fact that there is something about this man. That, 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 that there is something about this guy, Jesus. And so she recognized that he was the one, the, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, and surrendered herself at the feet of Jesus. Both in the same room, but their response was totally different. See, Simon refused to show affection towards Jesus. She couldn't stop showing affection to him. Right? Simon refused to wash his feet, refused to serve him. Yet this woman, she did whatever she could do to serve him. Even though she didn't have a towel, like she, she used her hair. Even though she didn't have water, she used her tears. And Simon neglected to honor Jesus by not giving him any olive oil. Yet she honored him by giving him everything she had. So the question I want to I ask us this morning, church, is how, how do we respond to Jesus? How, how are we responding to the love that Jesus gives us? Are we more like Simon the Pharisee, who hardened his heart thinking that he deserved it, thinking that he, he did enough and that he should, he should earn the right to it? 
or more like the woman who knew that even though she had no right to receive it, she knew that Jesus offered it to her. So in your relationship with Jesus, how, how do you show affection to Him? Uh, are we showing Jesus uh, affection in, in our words, in the, in the things that we do, in the way we, we go through life? Are we showing Jesus affection? Right? Uh, how do you show that you serve Him? Do, is it an honor to serve Jesus or is it, does it feel more like something that we have to do? Is it your desire to serve Jesus from what He has done for you or does it feel more like a duty that we have to fulfill? How, how do we serve Jesus? And how do we show honor? How do we honor Jesus in our lives? Do we make Him our priority? Do, do we recognize and acknowledge that He is the one who is deserving of all praise, of all that we have to offer Him? Do we respond like Simon? Or do we respond like the woman? We need to surrender over the study. We need to, to personally know over the knowledge. See, but how was it that this woman understood the love of Jesus more than, than Simon? And that was because of forgiveness. So Jesus shared that story saying that there were two men, one who was loaned 50 pieces of silver, one who was loaned 500 pieces of silver, but they both were in debt. They both couldn't pay it back. Who, who loved the man who canceled the debt more? It was the one who was forgiven of more. See, she understood that, she, she recognized that there was so much stuff that she had done wrong. There was so much that she needed forgiveness for. And that when she received that from Jesus, she knew that she was forgiven. And so out of that emotion and out of that recognizing that she was forgiven, that she responded in such a, 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 an amazing way, in such a, a, a revolutionized way, in a way that was unheard of. Yet Simon was so caught up in the fact that she was the sinner, that he was the man of God, and that he refused to acknowledge that he actually was in debt too. Even though he was doing some like really good things, that he was still in debt and he actually still needed the love that Jesus was offering him. See, forgiveness was the key. When she knew that she was forgiven, she responded in such a radical way. She realized that Jesus is the only one to real love. She knew that Jesus is the only one who can offer us this real love. And so she couldn't help but let that overflow. She couldn't help but let the love that she had received from Jesus overflow into the response that she made. So what does any of this have to do with us? See, we can have knowledge about God's love, but if we don't actually know it, what good does that do? Right? If we can study the entire Bible about the love of God, but don't surrender our hearts to Him and acknowledge that we actually need His love, we need His forgiveness, how does that study serve us? See, it's not just enough to have the knowledge of God's love. We need to know it personally. We need to surrender at the feet of Jesus. What, why, why, how does this tie in with, with, with love? How does this tie in with relationships? Because you can't give what you don't have first. Like, we, we can't, you can't, it is impossible to give someone else something that we don't have first. 
If there is someone who comes up to you and says like, I, I really need some money. If, if you don't actually have any money on you, how, how can you actually help them? If you know someone who is like, I, I, I'm so thirsty, can I please have a, a, drink, a drink of something, but you don't have any access to a water source, how, how can we actually be of any help to them? How can we help to love them? See, this world is in desperate need of real love, not just the, the twisted and dysfunctional love that we read about in the news or that we see on social media, but this world is in need of real, genuine love. And there's only one source, and that's Jesus. So how can people know and experience the love that Jesus has for them when, when, when we don't, when we don't like acknowledge that we need it ourselves every single day? How can we give that out to those around us? How can we give that out to our kids, to our spouse, to our friends, family, our workmates, when we are empty of that real love ourselves? How can our relationships be full of love if there's no overflow of God's love in our own lives first? See, does the love of Jesus move us to respond like it did for the woman? Because when we're filled with the love of Jesus, we can't help but respond. We can't help but let that flow out into every other area of our lives, into every other person we come into contact with. Just as we wrap up, I just want to go over one last thing because I haven't shared my favorite part of this, of this passage. And that's the perfume. That's the perfume. Because this, this perfume, it, the, the, it was so rare. It was so rare. And so it cost a lot. Like it cost a lot. I don't know how, what the most, how much you've ever paid for like a, a cologne or, or a perfume before. But like, for example, one of, one of the ones that I have is valued at like around $140, right? And it's a 100 mil bottle. And I know that there are some, perfumes and colognes that are like way more than that, right? I know some that are like for a few thousand dollars. But that tiny little jar that the woman had, which held probably about like 20 to 30 mils of fragrance, when we read of other jars that were very similar, of other perfumes that were of a very, very, very similar, and it would actually work out the cost of that would end up being around $43,000 in today's equivalent value, which is just a bit under a year, year's salary for the average Aussie, right? It was very expensive. It was very valuable. It was very valuable. It was something, more importantly, it was something that she needed to make the ends meet. It was something that she needed to keep on living, to keep doing what she did. So you can imagine that she is weeping at the feet of Jesus. She sees the dust and the dirt on his feet. So she starts to wash them with her tears. She starts to dry them with her hair. And as she's just there weeping, she sees the, the jar hanging around her neck. So she takes it in her hand. She, she looks at Jesus. She, she feels the, the warmth radiance love that in his eyes that he's looking at her with for probably the first time from any 
other man that she's come into contact with. And so she's looking at this jar. She knows the love that she has received. She knows of the forgiveness that Jesus is offering her and is shown towards her. And because it moved her that much, because she knew how much, how much she was loved, how much she was forgiven of, she didn't want to just give part of her life to Him, but she wanted to give everything over to Jesus. She wanted to respond in a way which is, God, I am all in for you. And so as she's holding that jar, she breaks it and starts to pour the perfume on Jesus' feet, starts to pour the contents of what she knows is so valuable, of what she knows is of incredible worth, yet she decides to break the jar and pour that and anoint Jesus with it, to give that over to Jesus. And see, when she broke that jar, to be able to pour out what was given, what was within that little container, that was her her way of making the decision of saying, God, you can have everything of me. You can have, I give it over to you that I'm not going back to my own way of life. I'm not going back to my own understanding of what love looks like. I'm not going back to what, what how I think love is because I'm not going back to what I think is valuable because I found the real valuable thing. I found the love of Jesus. I found the love that you have to offer me. I found the forgiveness that you have given me. That's the real valuable thing. That's the thing of value, of worth. She didn't need an alabaster jar of expensive perfume to have something valuable anymore because she found what was truly valuable, the perfect love and forgiveness that only Jesus can give. Only Jesus can give. Hey, can we stand this place? We're about to go back into a time of worship. So church, we, we can't give what we don't already have. We can't that Jesus has to offer of the, the amazing, incredible, valuable love that Jesus has to offer to, to those around us if we aren't filled with that ourselves. Because the truth is, there are so many people in our world, so many people in this community who have no idea what real love actually looks like. And maybe you are the only one who can actually demonstrate that. The, the Word says that we should be imitators of Christ, that we should be like mirroring the love of Jesus to those around us. But how can we do that when we don't first get filled by the love that Jesus has for us. So we need to keep receiving the love of Jesus. We need to respond in a way like that woman did. In a way where we, we acknowledge and we know, Jesus, I need your love. Jesus, I, I need to be filled with, with your love, with your forgiveness. Not like the Pharisee who hardened his heart, who had a calloused heart, where he thought he, he didn't need it because he earned it. But to be like the woman who knew that she didn't deserve it, yet she accepted it anyway. Hey, can we all just close our eyes around this place? And as the worship band just starts playing, playing something, I just want to ask if maybe you are here this morning and you've been responding more like the Pharisee, some of the Pharisee more than the woman. Maybe you've been having those thoughts of, I've, I've been doing good. Like, I, I know 
I, I, I deserve the love of God. I deserve what Jesus has to offer me. Maybe you've been, maybe you've been feeling like off of you, not actually realizing and being in that place and position of humility saying, God, I know I'm broken, but I thank you that you have your love to pour out on me. So I just want to pray for anyone here who, who, who realizes and who may be thinking like, man, I've been responding more like the Pharisee more than I have than the woman. And, and I, I want to go back to that place and that position of just being at Jesus' feet, or of being at Jesus' feet, just accepting and realizing that I, even though I am broken, He has poured out so much for me. Even though I don't deserve it, He gives it to me anyway. So if that's you, I just want you to put your hands out in front of you and just say, God, I'm here at your feet. I'm here and I just need your love, Jesus. I need your love, Jesus. Why don't you pray with me, church? God, we thank you for the incredible love that you have poured out upon us, Jesus. We thank you, God, for what you have done how you responded to us, Jesus. How you responded in a way where you were broken, where you were beaten, where you were bruised and you gave your life on the cross. You, you, You poured yourself out on us so that we can receive your love, so that we can receive your forgiveness. And Jesus, Jesus, we just, would you forgive us if we have come with the mindset and the attitude of the Pharisee, thinking that we deserve that, thinking that we have the right to receive what you gave up everything for. So God, this morning, would you realign our hearts with yours? Would you realign our thoughts with yours? Would you realign the way we see, realign the way we hear? God, would you realign our hearts to be in direct line with you, Jesus, to be like that woman sitting at the feet of Jesus, knowing that she was broken, knowing that she didn't deserve it. So Holy Spirit, I just pray that in this moment, as we begin to worship you, as we begin to show affection towards you, as we begin to serve you, as we begin to honor your name and lift your name high up this morning, Jesus, above every other thing. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you will move through our hearts and that you will just remind us of the love in the forgiveness and the grace that you have to offer us. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship this morning, church. How good was the message this morning? We really hope it was able to resonate with you. If it did, feel free to head to our website at life.house, head to the My Response tab and tell us all about it. We're so happy that you're able to join us online today. We do miss you. We hope you are here in person next time. But next week, Sunday at 10am, we hope to see your smiling faces here. Until then, see ya.